Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Like, how are you? Sometimes you get a, you get a question back. All right. Hey, my name is Chris Britton. It is an honor to be here before you to continue our series called The Blueprint. And uh, obviously, if you're here, you know that our church is called The House, right? You know our church is called The House. And uh, we use uh, the house kind of terminology to define some of the things that we do here. So if you're joining us for the first time or if you've been here for a while, you probably have realized some of the names that we have around here. Like we have Treehouse, Kids Ministry. We have, what's the teen ministry? The Shed. Shout out to the Shed. Like the Shed, duh. The Shed. Uh, we have our framework team, right? All the volunteers in here. Yeah, for sure. We got one clap for that. We've got one volunteer. No, I'm kidding. The framework team and uh, even some of the, the, the practical ways that you can live out our faith we call, wait for it, the blueprint. So it's obvious like Greg likes HGTV. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about that. He doesn't like camping, but, but we have kind of those plays on words and we've been in this series called The Blueprint where we're laying out these practical ways that you can live out uh, your faith. And uh, in some ways, we even call that a basic kind of plan for discipleship. Um, some might be interested in this. Not sure if you are or not. But Greg actually has a book that he came out with about these things. He doesn't ever get up here and advertise that. But if you're interested, it actually lays out all those things. I think it's even on Amazon or whatever. But uh, it's not a plug to buy that. But I'm sure that you can, we could get one in your hands if you're interested in seeing it laid out in that way. Uh, so we're in the second week of our series called The Blueprint. And today, there might be some of you that might not rock with this message because, you know, we're going to talk about, like, coming together. And some of you that don't like your food to touch on a plate, like, we're going to talk about, like, togetherness and community <laughs> and fellowship when things get messy. It's like, don't touch me. Like, right? So I think that we can all agree that in our day and age, Right. There's a lot more things that we can find out about ourselves, and we can use more excuses like this is my Enneagram number, so I don't have to be a part of this. <laughs> or I know that this is how I am, so I don't have to partake in this. So thank you for telling me, but I'm good. I've studied this. I know I can stay clear away from people and I'm fine and blah, blah, blah. So I know we're all studied and we can find out our personality types and all this, and we can easily brush this off if we're one of those types of people that, well, he just doesn't know, this is how I am, blah, blah, blah. But I pray, regardless, that you will listen to what the Bible has to say about what happens when churches like truly come together in fellowship, and they actually agree on being on the same plate, and things getting messy, and what life might look like uh, when uh, people agree that, you know what, we might not like this, but this might be the best way for us to live as community together and, and promote hope and change in the love of Christ on this planet. All right. Uh, so we're going to kind of talk about that and it might get messy a little bit. All right. Uh, so I'm going to pray real quick before we jump into it. God, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you, God, that uh, we are able to just unpack the blueprint, some ways that we can practically live out our faith. And today, as we talk about community, as we talk about fellowship, um, I pray, God, that we learn what it means to live at the table, Lord, to live at the, at the table, to be, to be seen by you, God, and to, be, to, to actually see others as well. Uh, so help me 
uh, with my words. May they be yours and may they be edifying to you and may we be uh, closer to you this morning. In your name, amen. Um, I've heard this phrase, this feels like family. From a lot of different walks in my life, not just Christian places. I remember uh, working in youth ministry and there was actually a lot of people that came uh, in our youth ministry sometimes and they played basketball from different walks of life. And I remember one time we had this Bible study and most of the time we had an open door uh, policy and this guy came in and I knew that he, I knew like he was really out on the streets, like he was really living that life. And what I mean by that, like he was really out there, like living that life. Always respectful when he came in. And uh, I asked him, I was just like, why, do you, why did you stay for a Bible study this time? And he was like, man, this feels like family. Right? I heard a student in my classroom one time, uh, she graduated and she texted and said, I miss my family. Uh, I heard a teen that I knew that uh, his, his, he, from his words, he said that in the living situation that he had, him and his brother would sleep in the hallway where their dirty clothes were kind of like their mattress. And he would stay and do poetry and all those kind of things. And uh, there's some things that happened in his life. And he said, I miss family. This, that was family. You hear this family concept, and you, 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 it usually it stirs up something where somebody feels like they've been seen, they've felt loved, and uh, somebody wasn't scared that they was on their plate type thing. And I, I feel like if we think about this, and some of you might feel like this here, we, we hope that you're like, oh, this is family. I've heard that before as well. I I know that God has wired us to be connected to one another, right? And I, I, again, I've heard this from lots of different people, from Christians, from non-Christians, from gangbangers, people that's on the street, from people that's homeless, from people in the kids in the classroom. This feels like family. What if we all are kind of built hardwired to be on the same plate with other people? That's in our soul, it's in the DNA of our soul and how God wired us to be. And I want to talk about that today, what that might look like and offer hopefully some, some insight on what the first church had done and, and offer some suggestions to us as well. Uh, we'll be reading from Acts 2, chapter, Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 47. Uh, so you can get that, get that out right now and you can stand if you're able in mind or spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 47. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. You may be seated. Whether our family consists of people in our homes or maybe people that we might visit often or even a small group of close friends, I believe that when we look at this passage and we look at Scripture, the Bible has some, some powerful values and practices that when we put them into practice, it can make those circles even more life-giving. As we see, uh, it's Peter, as we see in the Scripture, uh, right in Acts chapter 2, right, we have the, the, the Holy Spirit falls, and, uh, and then we get... Um, the fellowship of believers. And the church is kind of starting in this, in this place where, imagine, 3,000 people come to know Christ. And then they're just like, hey, what do we do now? Like, how do we live? <laughs> Should we just all go our separate ways, or what's going on? And we see, uh, not this instruction book that we get, but we see the way that they kind of figured it out, the best way to live. Studying God's word together. Eating at the same tables together. Sharing food. Uh, Not just collecting money for themselves, but also distributing money towards those that are in need. Coming together collectively. The fellowship of believers, we see this awesome example. And I bet, I bet among those 3,000, there was a high percentage of them that was like, this feels like family. This feels like family. This is it. Probably not perfect, but they were like this. This feels like family. Now, when we talk about uh, this morning, I want to talk about what that means. That at, at, at church here, we talk about uh, leaving things on the table. We have all this terminology, like I said before. So living at the table. And what we see that at the beginning of this scripture, um, the gospel was kind of being laid out. And people were responding to it. People were responding to accepting Christ and surrendering all, surrendering all. And, and sometimes that's kind of like, yeah, I don't know what that means. Like, what, what, what does that really mean to just surrender everything? Because we hear about people coming to Christ or people saying a prayer, and we hear these formulaic things, but sometimes we forget about the supernatural aspect of the Holy Spirit entering into somebody's life and, and wrecking it for the good. Um. A lot of you know that I do poetry and all this kind of stuff, and I kind of got a couple different options up here. You guys want option A or B? I don't know. A and B, okay. But when I look at my life, when I look at uh, my experience as a Christian, and I look at what it was like for me to lay everything on the table, what I found, it wasn't just one day that I did that, and it was, it was like over. It's like, here, Christ, here's my life. Boom. All right. (laughs) It was a continual process that you have to come back time and time again throughout your life as different seasons of life when I was a teenager. But the first time, the first time, I remember how it changed everything. And that's where I feel like the supernatural aspect of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit that we forget about, right? We might think of some movies where we see CGI stuff and all this magical stuff has to happen. There's things that happen to some people 
that you can't discount. And others, people are like, I didn't hear no voices. Ain't nothing happened to me. I don't know what all this stuff is about. I just changed. But whatever that is, we can't discount the power of the Holy Spirit because I didn't understand. But there was a peace that I had never felt before. That I know that I didn't come up with it. There was a restraint. That's what I'll say to some of you youth out there. Or maybe some of us adults. There's some areas in our life where we need restraint in some things where we don't have the power ourselves to say no to some things. And you hear in the black church sometimes, you say, help us, Holy Spirit. No, you always... <laughs> so for all of us, there's, there's things that with all the, the power lifting and all the strength that we might have, we might not have the strength to fight some of our own temptations and sin. And we need God. And we need to say, God, I give this to you. And that's the strongest move that you can make. There's a poem called The Dark Side that I kind of frequent back here a little bit because some of my poems are kind of like in the making for years. I know it sounds strange, but they just have to sit with me for a long time and I go back to it and everything. But this uh, poem is called The Dark Side because it was as if my dark side was, was kind of talking to me, taking me on this journey of, hey, man, you remember this? Like if my dark side was like, bro, you remember? Because it's still here. I can't tell you one of those testimonies. You'd be like, yeah, my dark side back when I was a teenager, then it's, it's gone. It's still like, hey, bro, you should do this, you should do this, right? And sometimes I'm like, what if the dark side is just like, like almost like likes me, but knows that I can't resist it sometimes. So it's kind of like, hey, you remember this, man? I couldn't even believe that you did that. <laughs> you remember this? I care about you, even though that I'm the part of you that's dark. Chris, you remember what you used to be on? Even I was ashamed at the places your amusement parked. Remember the first time that you held crack and you stared as it sat in the universe of your palms? Chris, be honest. You kind of felt like you kind of liked the thought of having fiends orbit your space just for a taste of stardust. Chris, like the first time that you held a 38, I remember the weight you felt the metal in your waist, and I wondered, what was you thinking? Chris, did you feel like God with the power to big bang life into extinction? Chris, the first time that that malt liquor hit you, your brain triggered lust like fireball, you didn't even know how to ask for help. You were a young son bursting with hormones seeking to crash land below a young lady's asteroid belt. Well, Mr. Britton, ain't you ever considered me an important part of your life? I mean, without me, the darkness, how can you truly appreciate the light? You saw me often. Lurking long moonlit sidewalks, that dark shadow when you were acting irresponsibly, often watching fear paint smirks across your face as you played in carnivals of curiosity. See, I was there when it was the devil's work that you delighted in. And then somehow you start going to all the place inviting delight in. But you're older now and somehow you think that we are divided, light and dark. Sometimes you just have to be reminded. And there's times that we have to be reminded that there's this process where we still need to put things on the table and give God these things because we're not meant to hold the weight of them. And I don't know what that's for you. 
I've been around long enough where I know what it is for me that I need to keep putting back on the table. And there's some things that God will say, like, give me that, give me that. And there's some things where uh, Greg talks about this even in, in his book, where there's things that God might leave on the table. I mean, if you go to a table, you might see like uh, hot sauce and salt and pepper and some things that aren't really good, good for you. Like you don't want to take the pepper and just undo it and just like drink it like that. There's some things that are just there that we have to learn and discipline ourselves. And God's like, mm, I can't help you control some of this, but it's, it's going to be around. So the table figuratively, figuratively in our life is like this altar of sorts. Uh, Greg and I had a chance to visit the Holy Land way back, it seems like years and years ago. But we visited uh, these biblical places where uh, we talked about it on our separate visits when we came back. And I remember saying, like, Greg, like I was fascinated by every community that we visited had this altar of sorts, this, start calling it this high place, where people would either worship God in this high place, or they'd worship these other things. But every community that we visited that was in ruins, you could identify this high place where people gathered as a community, and they were either worshiping things of God, or they found something else to put above that, above God, on this altar. And here in 2022, we're saying, when we see this scripture, uh, what would it look like for a church? What would it look like for us to fellowship and know that we are a place that is trying our best to live at the table and put God first and put and worship God above everything else in our lives. So the question that I will leave you with is, have you done that first? Have you done that? Have you started? That's kind of like square one. That doesn't mean like, oh, that's just, you know, first base or whatever. But that's an important step is imagine the disciples being at the table with Jesus uh, and Jesus seeing them, do you know that you're seen by God, that you're loved by him, that he has the door open for you? You said both of them. This, uh, this poem is called Beauty and the Change. It's a, a poem, just as I was contemplating years ago, just about me coming to Christ and what this battle going on in, in my head. There are times I weep for change and search for my identity's freedom. Come out, come out wherever you are. Reveal yourself to my soul. And I ask, who am I? Who am I in front of the cam? Who am I in front of my fam? Am I different in front of the sun? Does the moon see a different side of me? Soon there will be no need to mask myself, to Gotham, my insecurities. I sit signaling savior. Please rescue me. Soul projecting sounds to clouds and prayers to air. Is there help on the way? Inside, I know that help is here, but there's a barrier, a door longing to be unlocked. Maybe, maybe it's my pride caged inside like bird longing to touch sky's freedom. What will it take for me to get open as evil desires comfortably entice? I begin to take delight in cage watching a door that seems to be cracked open. I hope someone will save me, enter my story, save me. When the door is cracked open, I think I, think I see a light where pride tells me to hide and seek self-satisfaction. Pride says, when it comes to action, save yours. So I sit Indian style, smoke signaling clouds of silence to my savior. 
Savior's message has always been, I am here at the table. Come to me. I'm, I'm right here. Come follow me. But instead, I'm coddling convictions and waddling conviction, toddling the fence instead of swallowing my pride. I want to feel change, tangible as the air in these lungs. So I finally flung open the door to God's word and fell in love with his love. My eyes kissed the pages of James 5.16 and sent me to my knees, proposed the confession, professed the wretch in me. I was once blind, but now, as I was dormant, there'd always been a doormat welcoming me to knock. The door had always been open. So why did I wait? Why did I wait for change? Why did I wait to be rescued when I could have just walked into the arms of forgiveness, transformed from estranged to experienced and changed through Christ and toast his endless beauty? You know, there's often talk about, about change that we want in our life, and sometimes it's easier than we think when we just surrender and say, man, I'm done. I just want to surrender all to you. There's another side of living at the table. It's not just to be sitting and to, 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 to know and be known by God, but also in the company of others. And uh, I'd hope in these next few moments to explain how living at the table in community and rich fellowship means nurturing deep friendships with people that push you closer to God and your goals, who know both the good and the bad about you, and whose love is not contingent upon either, who you can call at 2 a.m. if you're in crisis. And I want to unpack a few reasons why you should have people like that. Uh, around you. Um, you often, I don't know if you've seen the, the reality show Storage Wars. Is Storage Wars? All right, Storage Wars and the basic premise is that, you know, these people get to bid on these storage bins and in hopes that there's something good in there that's salvageable or they can, you know, and sometimes there's not good stuff and sometimes, but, you know, it's oftentimes, especially adults, like we got this storage built up where we don't want nobody to get in there. We don't want nobody in our stuff, man. Because we're ashamed when you pop that open. But when you have good people in your life and a good God in your life, they can pop that thing open and, be, and they can find the goodness in there. Something of value that you might even have missed yourself. It's like, oh, this is just an old, do you know the value of this? Are you serious? You're an artist. You're this. No, no, that's just an old, no. We need people like that. I'm not an expert in antiques and all that kind of stuff, but I understand why you have people that are experts in that because they can speak the life into that thing that you thought was dead. You was going to throw it away. And we're like that with ourselves as well. And we need God to point that out. We need people here around us that can be like, no. I'll never forget early in my youth ministry years, like I had this plan for this creative art stuff a long time ago. And I would tuck the files over here. I'm not going to talk about that. That's crazy. I should just play my role, do youth ministry. Hey, Chris, you got any good ideas? I'd be like, mm, no. 
Because I was scared it was going to get too messy. I remember, uh, like yesterday, there was a project that we were working on for a grant. And uh, we had somebody that's still a good friend to my wife and I. But she worked at our ministry for about three years. She said, Chris, didn't I hear you say something about this creative art stuff? That should be the idea for the grant. And I was like, no, we can't. No, no, no. She's like, tomorrow, get that thing out. And then I was just like, oh, man, I was just showing, like, the initial plans. She said, this is amazing. We should present this to the city of Rock Island and all this other stuff. And I'm like, no, we don't want to just talk about it. Long story short, like, we went to the city of Rock Island for this. This is not a diss. This is just what actually happened. They said, no, they, we didn't get the grant. <laughs> but it wasn't their job. They didn't want to point out. They was like, close that garage. Uh, we don't wanna, uh, we're not giving money to that. But for me, somebody pointed out the value of that, and I articulated it to other people. And even when we left, she was like, they don't know what they're talking about. I think you should still do it. <laughs> we're going to start doing some of this stuff in the youth center. And I was like, for real? Okay. I needed somebody in my life to point out stuff that I thought, like, this is trash. Nobody's really going to go for this. And I'm doing poems and stuff all the time, right? And there's been this legacy of, of, of things that have happened. But deep, friend, deep friendships is a part of God's plan. When we look at uh, the first church in Acts 2, which talks about how, they, uh, how the early church devoted, uh, the members were devoted to one another, um, and the truth is, if we think about even outside of these scriptures, in the Bible, there's a lot of things that happen in the language that the Bible is used where it's almost, it's almost like the Bible is saying, like, duh, y'all should do this together. Like, think about the, the, the stuff that we recite up here all the time. What's the first word for the Lord's Prayer? Is it my? <laughs> the first word is our. So it's just like, this is the basics. Like, y'all reading this together. Our Father, it's not Chris's or it's ours. It's this collective idea that's already imprinted in the scriptures, right? And then prayer doesn't say my. We're in this together. There's when you think about uh, our our physical bodies, like we're born into a place where God hopefully intends that we're not alone. You know, this is a dark world, but the intention is that we are together with people that care about us. And in our spiritual rebirth, uh, the Bible uses language like we're adopted into a family. So littered in Scripture, there's this language that already kind of assumes that y'all should know, like, this is a together type thing. This is our family. When you're, uh, when you're physically, you're not supposed to, you're not meant to be alone. And even spiritually, you're not meant to try to do this alone. And we see that there's a need for connecting with other people. That's reinforced. Jesus modeled it in his close friendships. One of the very first things that he did after beginning his public ministry, you know he could have went solo. He could have went solo. Han Solo. His public ministry, he, he got 12 disciples from among a broader group that traveled around with him. And within that group of 12, he was particularly close with about three and when life got really crazy, he leaned into them. When Jesus sent his disciples out, did he send them out alone? Two by two. And those aren't measurements for something that's like real. It's like two by two. <laughs> We're commanded to love one another. There's all these scriptures that 
promote this one anotherness, one another. We're commanded to love one another, to encourage one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to be at peace with one another, to wash one another's feet, respect one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, and be hospitable towards one another. Every one of these commands requires that we are in a relationship with another. So this idea that we're created for community is all throughout Scripture. And that friendship is almost this expected part of a relationship. But it's hard when we think about cultivating, loving, nurturing relationships with others, um, even if it's assumed in the Bible. We know that. My next point is that life, life change happens best in community. As Christ follows, one of our goals is to become more like Jesus. And that be, means being more loving, more kind, more gracious, and more patient. And how does change happen? By the grace of God working in our lives um, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life, it's important uh, that we include the presence of others in our life that can bring that out as well. That can point that out to us and be like, you know... I think you can be more kind about that, right? Uh, we're not meant to have all these just yes men around us, the people just like, well, you're good. No, you're good. That's cool. That's fine. That's fine. But real people that really care about your life, they can call that stuff out. And you know that it's from a place of love. It's not like, oh, you just hating on me. <laughs> we're not talking anymore. Unfriend. <laughs> Right. We have these luxuries where we can just turn people off now, literally. And the Bible is saying, like, the real people in your life, the genuine people in your life, that you actually there's this reciprocal relationship that you have of this giving and taking. Where there's sometimes where uh, you get checked. I'm lucky that I learned that as a at an early age, and I accepted that uh, change in my life, especially spiritual change. Um, in, my, in my early life happened usually in the context of having people around me like mentors and other friends. So I kind of grew up uh, kind of knowing that, kind of almost uh, as the expectation. And even in my adult years, I always kept like some people around me. Um, and so it was a little easier for me just because that's how I experienced spiritual growth. But I started to understand, especially when I was adult, that, excuse me, it doesn't come as easy to some, some people. And I understand that and I get that. And when you add in like church hurt and you add in uh, abusive type relationships and other things, uh, mind games and all these things, it becomes very hard even for a believer to start trusting people to develop real relationships. It's this idea that we all want that. We all want it. Some of you might be like, man, I really want that, but this happened and this happened and this happened. And it becomes this kind of like, where's Waldo? It's like, where can I find him? We're going to buy a group of good friends like that. <laughs> like, I would, but I can't trust nobody. Because this happened and this happened and this happened. I don't have any easy answers for that. Except to lean in. Uh, don't stop. To lean in to those that could possibly be trusted. And don't give up that, that fight 
to try to find good friends around you. And uh, don't, you know, there's sometimes where there's uh, people that have spoken to me about, man, I can never really trust ministry folks or blah, 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 blah. And then what, ha- what ends up happening is that they kind of take on the villain characteristics themselves. They start kind of becoming the villain. You know, like in superheroes, sometimes the, the hero and the villain used to be close friends. And then there was something happened where something got sour. Then they turn. Yeah, right? So sometimes I find that people that kind of get hurt, they hurt people as well. It's because things that happen to them. So sometimes it's like, yeah, don't become that because that happened to you as well, right? Because we want to also have those components and those, uh, those, those fruits in our lives that are attractive to others. So sometimes I just tell people, like, well, make sure that you don't let that turn you into somebody that's not good to be around or healthy to be around because that's not going to attract the people that you want around you either. All right? But a good group of folks around you uh, also can be a safety net for you. Like I mentioned before, do you have someone that you can call at 2 a.m.? And that's difficult, right, if you don't have that. But somebody that you can call at 2 a.m., that's uh, somebody that you know that, that would be mad at you if you didn't call them at 2 a.m. They'd be like, why didn't you call me? You could have, what? Why did you go through that alone? Why did you do that? At the end of the day, I, I'm reminded of uh, another reality TV show. If you ever watched the show called Alone, have you seen that show? Alone? Don't watch it alone. No, but there's a reality show called Alone. Nobody's seen that show? So there's a reality TV show called Alone where uh, they get these, these, these folks that are supposed to be like, some, they have some kind of experience in the wilderness and stuff. Like they can be self-sufficient out there. Anyway, they pick these contestants and they get all these people from from wherever that submit these videos of how they know how to build stuff and they can, you know, whatever. They drop them off in different locations, a lot of times in Canada. My wife, we watch that sometimes in beautiful places in Canada, but dangerous places where there's bears and all that kind of stuff. And they drop them off kind of miles away from each other. And guess what they just have to do? No, they just have to survive. So they give them, they basically make these commitments to this show for maybe they sign these contracts for like, hey, I'm going to leave my family for at least maybe six months. If, I'm, if y'all don't see me for six months, we, I'm winning this cash, you know. If y'all see me in a couple weeks, <laughs> I gave up. <laughs> but what happens is they teach these folks how to use all the, uh, the cameras. They got all these GoPros. So in the contract, they have to record all this stuff. So they get this, these battery packs. They get all this stuff. They have to keep the cameras rolling, right? They get the night vision cameras. They set them up in their tent. They get these tripods. So they can't really go find each other. They have to kind of stay camped. And if they want to move somewhere, they have to bring all of this equipment with them. So a lot of times they get there. They get dropped off. They have to build stuff. They basically are surviving on their own. I have to tell you, the fascinating thing about it is that there's a point where some people, you know, I laugh. I mean, I mean, my kids, we kind of laugh. There's people that they get out of there in like 24 hours. There's some people that lasted like three hours and they're crying and they're just like, I got to go back to my family. 
And I'm like, look at this, they didn't even last long. My kids were like, Dad, how long you think that you will last out there? I'm like, man, <laughs> once I see the vehicle leaving, man, I might be like, all right. <laughs> yeah, it might be time to get out of here. <laughs> but if you ever watch a show, you see the realest moments in people's life, especially at night, when they're all alone and they're just looking at this night vision camera and they're freaking out because they realize the light is gone, there's nobody there, it's just them. And you get these, some of the realest gut talks about how they're feeling about their family. I wish I would have done this before I left. Man, I don't know why I'm doing this. And it's in some ways gut-wrenching. But at the same time, it gives you this idea like, bro, you're not supposed to be out there by yourself. <laughs> Right? There's bears and stuff that come up around the area. But here's the thing. That's what I want to close with today. They are alone, but they're kind of not alone. After watching a couple of seasons, I realized, you watch some behind the scenes footage. They send a, a medical staff out periodically to check on them. They have to do checks. They can't give them anything, but they have to just go check. So in the back of their mind, they know every once in a while, People are coming. Also, they get this GPS little device, and you see them walking around with it sometimes. They get one call that they can make, and it tells people the exact coordinates where they are. And if they do it, first light in the morning, no questions asked, a team comes out and rescues them, and they're out of there. So after the first season stuff, after a while, I'm like, I'm like, oh. but. Are they really alone? Someone are you? Yeah, physically alone. But the comfort that they have is knowing that they can be heard at any moment if they needed it. They're alone physically. Sometimes we feel like that. Can we have the comfort of knowing that Christ's spirit is right there to rescue us? We're sitting here feeling alone, or we feel like no one sees us, no one cares about us. Look, I think about this show where they have it set up where they're alone, but at the same time, they had to give them the hope and the comfort of knowing that people are closer than they think. Because they get out there, vroom, and then they always have to have the camera set up on their, their facial expression when help arrives. And they're, they see people. And then they almost start taking it back, like, oh, I shouldn't have left. I should have stayed out here. But this is the best decision. I got to go back to my family. It's so good to see you. And then they always are like, I'm so sorry for the calling you guys out here. And they're like, hey, that's what the button's for. We're here. They don't even talk about it. <laughs> they're just like, get your stuff. Let's go. But the people are always just like, yeah, you should have saw, man. Like, I had bears around me. And the people are just looking at him like, hey, get your stuff. We're going to check you out. No, but you, like, you probably would have got out of here, too. You don't know. Like, oh, this, this is crazy. <laughs> Living at the table means that we are putting everything on the table for God. And we're putting things on the table with one another. We're doing life and sharing life with one another. And when we mix those variables, uh, that's 
when in the Bible says that we can experience a fruitful life in our church. We can experience uh, and get some more mileage out of our relationships, um, and it can make things better. Uh, I often think about, like, you know, some, some people might say, oh, you guys are telling me all these rules and these things that I have to do, and da 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 It's not like that, but uh, the scriptures kind of tell us uh, some best practices, some best ways to live. And we should aim for those, right? Maybe these are targets that we are trying to, to go forth, and this, this self-reflection uh, that we need to say, what, what, should I, what should I be doing to focus, uh, put in Christ first? What should I be focused on to um, reach out to others? Or maybe to become uh, a better and to look for ways that I can be healed from broken relationships that I've had in the past. That might be where to start as well. And you can talk to, to Greg or Pastor Greg or Pastor Jen or myself if you need resources to help you with that. So there's no, there's no, uh, it's, it, we have community tables going on. So this isn't like a trick to make people feel bad if you didn't sign up for them or anything like that. But we purposely, right, we purposely are talking about these things because we're saying, hey, we're offering these things as well. So it's not to trick you or to be like, you're going to tell me that you should have joined the community. No, we're not trying to shame anybody about that, but we're actively saying like, hey, we have these opportunities at community table that aren't these threatening things that maybe you're used to. But, and that's why the format is a little bit, you know, some people are like, man, you guys do a, should have a Bible study in these where you go through this, this, and this. Well, this, the functionality of these is just to come together and to sit at the table and fellowship with one another no strings attached, in a place where you know the hosts will love you as you are and invite you to the table, period. And that's what we're about in that way. So I hope this morning that you've been encouraged in that way and as you go, um, that Christ's spirit can meet you where you're at and you know that you are seen by God and you can call on God and I pray uh, that you will be blessed to have if not now, uh, work towards having some life-giving friendships. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and I thank you, God, that uh, the example that you've shown us in Acts chapter 2. God, uh, I pray, God, that as we continue to move forward and we offer these things at our church, Lord, we're not saying that we have all the right answers at our church. However, we do offer places of fellowship, of community, um, of open table, Lord, for where anyone's invited to share a meal, be loved, to be seen, um, and gives other opportunity to see others as well. So we thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have at this church to do so. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. No worries, man.